Hello, and welcome to Labors in the Harvest with Kevin Folger. This podcast is a weekly conversation about the gospel and the work that God is doing through those who labor for him. Kevin Folger, your host, is a man with over four decades of ministry experience. For 41 years, he served on the pastoral staff of Cleveland Baptist Church in Cleveland, Ohio. He currently serves as the North America Director of Spiritual Leadership Asia, a ministry that assists those endeavoring to preach the gospel and plant Baptist churches in the 1040 window with a particular focus on Asia. Now here's Kevin with this week's Labors in the Harvest podcast. Hello, this is Kevin Folger. I want to thank you again for listening to Labors in the Harvest podcast. And it's a great joy to have you joining us today, wherever you may be. And uh, it's our prayer that uh, as you listen to the conversation I'm going to have with another one of my friends in regards to the life and ministry that God has given to them, that you would uh, be blessed by it and, and encouraged by it. And we, as we often say, if that would be the case, please let us know about that. You can uh, reach out to us by way of our uh, website, kevinfolger.com or just uh, send us, uh, go through the sl dot, uh, sl-asia.com website and reach out to us that way. Well, I'm honored uh, this week. I'm in uh, Raleigh, North Carolina and have been here for a missions conference and I'm with my friend, Brother Tim Rabin, who is the uh, pastor of the Beacon Baptist Church here in Raleigh. Brother uh, Rabin, thanks for joining me today on Labors in the Harvest podcast. It's good to be with you, Brother Kevin. We sure have enjoyed having you and Miss Denise with us this week and missions conference and uh, well we we love missions conferences they're they're a blessing and of course uh, used to be when I was pastoring you know it's a favorite time of the year but now that I get to be a part of them several times a year it's it's even even a greater blessing so we're we're grateful to be here so uh, as I shared with uh, you brother Raven and as our listeners though our our podcast is just about people and their life and their ministry so I want to start with you and just talk to us a little bit as I uh, just as God leads you, give me some answers to these questions. And so uh, let's talk a little bit about your life. Where were you born and where were you raised? Um, I was born in Dothan, Alabama, which is down in the southeast corner of the state. If uh, my dad was still living, you ask him where is he from, he'd tell you L.A. <laughs> and uh, allow you to believe Los Angeles unless you ask him different, and then he'd tell you lower Alabama. So, <laughs> so uh, I was born and raised there. Um, in a little community called Ashford for the first few years of my life. Then my dad got a job in Dothan as a firefighter, so we had to move in the city limits. So, so was your family, was it a Christian home that you were raised in? Yes, my mom and dad both knew the Lord and um, uh, loved the Lord. My mom's still living and loves the Lord, and so I was born in a Christian home and went to church, you know, Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night, that kind Amen. of thing. So. Well, what a great legacy and heritage that is when God gives us the, those kind of homes to be born into. And, of course, uh, as often said, you know, to who much is given, much is required. And so I often think about how good God's been in my life and, and how, what a blessing that is. And I, I, I know you feel the same way. So uh, t- talk to me a little bit about growing up there in uh, lower Alabama. Right. <laughs> was it uh, You moved into Dothan. So how big a town is Dothan? Uh, back when I moved there, it was probably about 30,000, 40,000. It's okay. probably about 60,000 okay. today. So it really wasn't a rural community at all. No, no. Yeah. It, was, it was, you know, my, my folks were both raised in the country, uh, you know, raised on the farm, mm-hmm. that kind of thing. Um, my granddad on my father's side, 
I uh, had a stroke just a few months after I was born, so I never heard him talk, never saw him walk. He mm-hmm. lived till I was 10 years of age almost. Mm-hmm. And, um, but um, on my mother's side, you know, my, my, uh, I knew my great-grandparents and then my grandparents and mm-hmm. my granddad and grandmother went and we called it in those days getting a public job. They left the farm and went to work. Uh, and, okay. and so, um, but I was raised, you know, um, go down my great granddad's farm regularly during the summer, just you know, eight or ten miles from where I live. So, so, uh, but it was city life for sure. And um, I attended uh, public school system sure. there in in Dothan. So, well, probably back in those days when you were being raised, probably wasn't much of Christian education specifically in the no. South because no. the, most uh, schools districts were pretty conservative and pretty Christian. <laughs> yeah, that's right. That's right. So, yeah, yeah matter of fact, my uh, tenth grade biology teacher, I was his first second generation student. He taught my mother. Mm. But when we got to the chapter on evolution, he said, "Now you can believe this garbage if you want to, but we're going on to the next chapter. <laughs> I believe the Bible." So. <laughs> <laughs> well, I wish it was like like that today. Yeah. Not too, unfortunately, not too many teachers. Uh, feel that way specifically in the public education unless they are believers in the yeah. Lord Jesus. So talk to me, to me about uh, as a young man getting saved and uh, you know God's work in your life in that regard. Yeah, I, um, like I said, grew up in church and uh, when I was 10 years of age in March of 1970, was in a revival meeting on a Sunday night and um, really fell under conviction of my sin. Um, the preacher that night is Brother James Pauley, pastors of the Faith Baptist Church in Kadapolis, oh, yeah. North Carolina. And uh, he was a 23-year-old young evangelist that night. And I was a 10-year-old boy. And um, and so um, really the first time I really remember being convicted of my own sinfulness was in that, that service that evening. And uh, the service closed out. I, I uh, was scared to go forward and... Um, service closed out and I kind of reasoned in my mind Lord if they'd sing another verse I'd get saved and um, so the pastor was closing it out and Brother Paulie stepped back up to him put his arm around him and he said I think if we'd sing another verse somebody'd get saved mm-hmm. well I, I didn't play games I, I made my way to the altar and mm-hmm. put my faith and trust in the Lord Jesus that night as my personal Savior so and how old were you at that point I was 10 years of age 10 years of age yeah well that uh uh, that point on, everything's different, isn't it? Yes, it is. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Yeah. So, yeah. so growing up in a Christian home, growing up in a somewhat a you know s- uh, smaller town in uh, the South, uh, you know, clearly at a point uh, because you are a pastor, there's a, a call to preach, and right. God deals with us about that. So, can you talk to us a little bit about how that worked for you? Yeah, we attended a small rural church. It was the church my dad was raised in. My, as a matter of fact, church started in 1898 uh, as a result of my great-granddad building a brush arbor mm-hmm. and uh, inviting a preacher in. I don't know how many people were saved. They had a two-week meeting, 43 of them followed the Lord in baptism. Wow. And uh, they started the little church that my dad would grow up in, I'd grow up in. And uh, we had some Sunday school teachers, Walter and Jan Baxley, as uh, teenagers that really loved us, cared for us. There was only four of us, uh, three boys and one girl. And so they went to our pastor and said, uh, Pastor, is anyway on the fifth Sundays that the teenagers could kind of take over the service, teach the adult Bible uh, Sunday school class, teach the, um, preach the message, you know, do the singing, that kind of thing. And and, uh, our pastor 
Uh, Brother Thomas Kirkland still living. He's I think he's ninety five now, wow. and um, he agreed that we could. And so the other two guys preached the first youth Sunday we had, and so it came time for the next one, uh, September the twenty ninth, nineteen seventy four, and um, it was my turn to preach. I wasn't planning on being a preacher. Uh, didn't have really any preachers in our family, and uh, you know I was just I was planning on going to med school and become a cardiac surgeon and anyway i got up to preach that sunday morning and um, the lord helped me uh, for sure i preached from matthew 24 didn't know didn't know anything about how to put a sermon together and uh, so what i did is i uh, took my dad's center column reference bible and i took those letters in his center column reference bible and uh, wrote out my notes i i put my title the second coming to jesus and i put my text matthew 24 I don't remember now right off what verses I preached. I think 1 to 14, but I'm not sure of that. And uh, and so I wrote myself an introduction sentence. Then I wrote the word prayer so I'd remember to pray. <laughs> and uh, and then, I, then I wrote those references. You know, I don't remember exactly what they started with, but let's just say it started with D, D, E, F, G, H, mm-hmm. and however many references there was. And, and so what I'd do is I'd read that verse and I'd, yell about everything I could think of that verse might say, and then I'd run that reference over there. And uh, so anyway, I've heard guys talk about the first sermon and all this. Well, I preached 45 minutes. Oh, my goodness. I, 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 uh, you know, I had a lot of references to run. So, so uh, you know, I'm just glad my daddy had a good center column reference Bible. But anyway, so I preached. And, uh, of course, this is back in, uh, you know, the early 70s. And uh, most of the churches I'm affiliated with are all small rural churches. So my grandparents on my mom's side got their preacher invite me the next month. And one of my former pastors invited me the next month. As a matter of fact, that's the first time I ever preached somebody got saved. Wow. It was a young lady, 14. Hmm. Um, I was 15 at that point. A few years ago, she reached out to me through Facebook and said, you probably don't remember me, but I got saved and I'm married to a pastor and I just thought I'd tell you, encourage you. I said, well, I do because you're the first person ever got saved during my preaching publicly. And and so so anyway, but the Lord opened the door and uh, over the next uh, nine months, I preached 30 different times in in different places. And um, finally, I was in another revival meeting on a Tuesday night at my grandmother's church where I'd preached that second sermon at and uh, just came to the understanding that God's perfect will for my life was to be a preacher of the gospel. Mm-hmm. And so I surrendered that night and told the Lord I'd do that. I was um, I was going into my junior year of college, uh, high school mm-hmm. and um, so the Lord re- redirected all my plans and I just uh, followed him all these years so God's been good. Well, it sure has, and uh, you know, you think about those moments, and certainly, I think, you know, I, I, as I often say, sometimes as I'm preaching, you know, people have this idea that you know, surrender is just for those of us who are in ministry, you know, those yeah. of God who's calling. But no, surrender is really for every Christian. Every yes. Christian needs to have a point of surrender. Say, Lord, whatever it is you want me to do. Now, God's not going to call everybody to be a pastor, evangelist, or missionary, but you know, every one of us needs to have a surrendered heart and. But, you know, it's wonderful when you know that God does have a specific plan for your life that includes ministry. And we may have some folks listening today that maybe they're scared to death to think about that, you know. And, mm-hmm. and one of the reasons I do this podcast is because I feel like many people have this idea, well, I could never do that. You know, God only calls, you know, and they look at people who've been in ministry for years and right. who've done it. And, you know, God's 
taken us through the process of development and the school of hard knocks and you know we're a little bit further along but we didn't start there right That's we started right. we started a place where we run references in a center column of a reference bible or we like my first sermon was a train wreck man it was <laughs> absolute train wreck when i preach so you know it's just one of those situations if god calls you he equips you to do what god's called us to do There's that's right he doesn't and, doesn't call the equipped he equips the call they yeah. say and yeah we one of the things we've done here is 35 years ago i started a youth conference at our church and i was a youth pastor and and uh, one night one of the guys preaching had all the full-time workers youth pastors pastors come up and sit in the choir and and he just preached on the will of god and he said you know these people and you know and he pointed to a few guys and there was some ladies there sitting with their husband and, you know how what were you raised doing what'd you where'd you grow up you know just kind of showing the young people yeah you know none yeah. of these folks are super spiritual christians right. that right. just dropped out of heaven and right. ended up in the pulpit you right. know yeah so well, of course, with the calling comes the process of uh, being developed and getting prepared to, to preach. So uh, you went off to a, a little Bible college someplace, as I recall. Yeah, that's right. I attended Bible college in Nashville, Tennessee, and okay. and um, graduated from there. Went there and graduated from high school in 77, went there and graduated in 81. And, mm-hmm. and uh, Along the way, um, and I think even before you went to college, you you met your future wife. Yeah, we did. Talk we a little uh, bit about that. To okay. Her. Yeah, we were we were at teen camp, and uh, we were in registration line, and and uh, she was up ahead of me, and preach another preacher boy in our region was there behind her, and and um, her hair back in those days went way below her waist, and I thought. That's the prettiest girl I've ever seen. I bet you she'd like to meet me. <laughs> and, uh, and so uh, I went up, and Sharon and I met, and um, we started dating and, and uh, went through high school. I went off to college my first two years. We got married between my sophomore and junior year of, mm-hmm. of college. And, um, yeah, God brought us together, and mm-hmm. we had no idea. You know, that's been 43 years ago. We sure had no idea that we'd ever go anywhere outside of lower alabama mm-hmm. and uh, but the lord's good to us and has been with us and blessed us now with three children mm-hmm. uh we have two boys both work on the staff here with us and then we have a daughter who's married to an associate pastor about an hour away from here mm-hmm. and uh, with those three children have come eight wonderful grandchildren Amen. So, a, that's a blessing yeah so after you finished uh your college uh, education, uh, where did you land? I landed right here where I'm at. Um, Dr. Randy Cox was our pastor at that point, and um, I call him Preacher. Mm-hmm. And so Preacher invited me to join the staff here in 1981. And so I came on staff July the 1st, 1981. First five years of our ministry, I was in charge of the bus ministry, our children's church, all of our soul winning outreaches. And then after five years of that, uh, the youth pastor that was here left and went to another ministry, and preacher asked me if I would transition and take the teenagers, and so I did and kept all the soul winning and took over our publications part of our ministry and did that for eleven and a half more years until um, church called me as pastor in 1997. So November 1st will be 25 years ago I became the pastor of Beacon Baptist Church. It's amazing how fast our lives pass, um, you know, and of course a lot of people are their journeys a little different you know they they may be in several different churches in a in a ministry lifetime but much like you our life okay. our stories are very similar you know we land yeah. in one place and end up staying a long time and 
end up becoming the pastor of, of the church where we land. But um, your, your journey's been a little different in the sense that um, this church was not an independent Baptist church when you That's came. Right. So. Talk to our, our listeners a little bit about you know the, the what what this church was and um, and again I'm not saying there was anything wrong it's just it's just a, I think a branding of it is all and yeah. there, a change that had to be made and so would you talk a little bit yeah, about that I'll be glad to um, I, I grew up and our church was as well a free will Baptist free will Baptist church and so uh, my college training was in the free will Baptist College in Nashville. Mm-hmm. Um, came under influence there of a lot of independent Baptist men. Uh, back in the days when I was there, Dr. Howells, other people would preach there. Matter of fact, Preacher Cox, his honorary degrees from Howells Anderson, 1985. <laughs> um, so you, you name it, uh, we've, we've had them here, you know, Dr. Robertson, uh, uh, Wally Beebe, Tom Clarence Sexton, you know, I just go down, Tom Williams, I go down the list, but, but um, um, you know, we uh, associated a lot with with the independent Baptist folks. Always preacher, always had a soul winning heart. He always had a heart for the King James Bible and for standards and holy living. And so, um, you know, we were just just a part of all of that. And um, and really, uh, just um, kind of, I reckon, metamorphosed into that in, in a lot of ways. Mm-hmm. Um, I came to a, you know, the group of, and Frigo Baptists are like independent Baptists. There's all brands and colors. Sure. Okay, so, sure. so, so, but the group that uh, we were a part of um, was, was were people who believed in the possibility of apostasy from the faith, but not the probability of it, mm-hmm. not a sin issue. Now, where I grew up as a young boy, I really grew up in what now I would know to be repeat regeneration. In other words, I grew up where, you know, I was, I was told if you told a lie and stepped down in front of a car and got hit, you died went to hell, you know? Mm-hmm. And so I didn't I didn't grow up with any assurance right. <laughs> until uh, I was at the age of 13, which was a free will Baptist preacher, preached from 1 John 5, 13, on knowing that you're saved. And the, the Lord helped me to get a hold of that truth. And so, um, so you know, it, it was a process um, I grew up in what I would call uh, conditional security. It is as long as person keeps faith and trust in Christ, and it would not be it would not be a practice of sin issue that would sever that relationship. It would be a renouncing of faith. Right. Would be what those men believe. But anyway, I, uh, my journey's a little bit different than some others. Um, I was actually preaching through the book of Colossians. And I got to chapter three where it says we're hid with Christ in God. Mm. And when I got to that phrase and got to studying it, I realized that, you know what? Once a person comes to know Christ as their Savior, they're, they're a Christian. Mm. And, and you're hid with Christ in God. That, that's not just a security. That's double security. Mm. And so I, I came to that understanding and, and uh, you know, our church... Um, eventually went uh, left the Free Will Baptist denomination. Um, was that much of a struggle to lead the church that way? No. It, what, what actually happened was they voted us out. Mm. So, oh, the, the, the Free Will Baptist. <laughs> yeah, yeah, okay. yeah. So we changed our name and didn't attend the meetings like they thought we should. Mm-hmm. And so, 
you know they severed which, you. they left you yeah that's right <laughs> which is the way i yeah. you know would have been the is the best way so yeah. um you know we just um have gone our own way these last um well, that would have been um man that would have been uh Four, uh, 2004 maybe. Mm. I'd have to go back and look. 2004, I think, could be two, early 2005. So it's been 17, 18 years. So when you showed up here in uh, 1981, uh -huh. 1981 from college, um, and again, unless uh, our listeners have been on this property, they have no idea uh, what what's what's here and how it's developed. And uh, you know, I just would say, from my perspective, you know. Um, this is a very significant work that God is doing here as far as size and magnitude and what's going on. Um, but it wasn't like that. I don't think when you showed up here it was uh, much smaller. And I'm not saying it, it came because of you, but obviously God putting people together and under Brother Cox and you. And so things started to happen and the church was growing. Is that correct? That's right. When, when I joined the staff in 1981, we were averaging about 300 because mm -hmm. I, I still remember the first Sunday school promotion that I was in charge of was 349 plus me equal 350. That's very original. Don't mm -hmm. don't steal that idea. So, but mm -hmm. but anyway, and um, and so um, the Lord blessed. By the time I was on staff 16 years, uh, by the time preacher retired in 97, we were running about 620 625, okay. and uh, and then uh, before COVID. Pre-COVID in 2020, the first whatever 10 or 11 weeks we were able to meet, uh, we I think we averaged 1180. That's okay. what we averaged. So okay, so on this property, um, again, God's given you a very significant piece of property here in Raleigh, uh, several acres, and uh, you know there's buildings every place and hallways running every place, and so there's a Christian school here, and that started in 1977. That's right, and so that was in, already in place before you got here, but. Uh, the Christian school is uh, very active and uh, got a very diverse, uh, you know, group of kids that are here from different churches and things. But uh, had the opportunity to preach in chapel, and the kids are are listening, and and that's a blessing. So talk to us about maybe uh, you know just some things that God has done because uh, we're now in a new building uh, and it was built and opened in 2005 and. Uh, the auditorium will seat, I think, about 1,600 or so. That's right. That's and uh, so God has uh, certainly blessed through the years in, in, uh, as you've been pastor here. So if somebody's listening and saying, you know, uh, you know, I'm, I, I want God to use me, what would you tell them? I mean, obviously, we obviously be open to God's, um, you know, leading in our life. But what are some of the things that God has done in your life to help you as, in your development, uh, you know, in, as, a, as a preacher, as an individual, those type of things? Well, you know, I had a I had a preacher when um I was a young preacher uh, said to me three things that I've never forgotten. Mm -hmm. He said if you're going to do what God wants you to do, you got to number one live in the Bible. Mm -hmm. He said you got to become a student of the scriptures and a person who lives out the scriptures. Mm -hmm. He said number two, you got to learn how to live on your knees. Mm -hmm. You got to learn how to pray, how to learn how to get things from the Lord. I think always when I hear that statement, I think of that statement, I think of Dr. Rice's old book, Prayer Asking and Receiving. Mm -hmm. And then he said, number three, you got to live for others. Mm -hmm. You got to, you got to, as Paul said, you got to spend and be spent. Yeah. And, um, you know, if I was talking to a young man, uh, I think those are three great uh, exhortations. Live in the Bible, live on your needs, live for others. And, you know, just 
you know, one of the things that, that I'm afraid of, and, you know, you and I are the same generation, uh, a lot of things, you know, we've been around these younger missionaries this week and just tried to encourage them. But a lot of, a lot of our generation, you know, tried to get you to measure up to somebody else. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, the standard's not you, it's not me, it's not brother whoever, doctor so-and-so. The standard's Christ, and I want to live to please the Lord, and I want to do what He wants me to do. You know, that's that's one of the great joys of being an independent Baptist. You know, after having been in the denomination most of my life, you know, Preacher Cox used to he said, you know, denomination, he said, may not be bad. The denominationalism is. And he used to identify the ism. He said the ism is like a giant lawnmower. When one blade of grass sticks up above the others, it makes all the others look bad. So the lawnmower comes and cuts <laughs> them off. And, uh, you know, but I'm afraid sometimes we, we and, and Paul said, you know, if you compare yourself with yourself, you're not wise. Mm-hmm. But, boy, I tell you, it's easy to get caught up in that mentality. Mm-hmm. You know, it's, you know, this is what he's doing. This is what he's doing. It seems to be working there. Without saying that we are, a lot of times we're pragmatic, right. you know. And, uh, and you know, no, you, you be who God made you to be. Right. And you follow the Lord. You please the Lord. You know, and and I I would add this word in. I don't know how how much you want me to say here, but anyway, I go on for a long time, probably too too long. But um, one of the things I'd say to a young man who's listening, um, you know, lead your family before you lead your lead your ministry. You know, you love your family. Uh, you don't want to you don't want to get it so far out in front of your wife and your children they can't see you. Okay. You you want to lead them, love them. You know, one of the great privileges God's given Sharon and I is our kids who love the Lord and living for the Lord and and we're privileged to have them in minute all of them in ministry, you know, and we're thankful for that. But but you definitely want to love your family and help your family and, you know, bring them along on this journey with you. Well, I truly truly believe and of course it's scriptural that if a man can't lead his own family, he can't lead the house of God. That's right. And I often say to young young men and, and when I have the opportunity to you know, do some teaching when we had our Bible Institute at home and and even last week, I was at Ambassador, taught some young guys, some young preachers. But I say to them, look, you know, you don't. If you don't have your family, you don't really have a ministry. If you no. lose that, you've That's lost it. your platform for ministry. So it really is what my family enables me to have a platform. People see the family, see that it's well ordered. See, not not that any family's perfect. Nobody's perfect. <laughs> That's but, right. But you know, you you do want your children living in, within your home to have a, a heart for the things of God and not be in rebellion and supporting the work. And you you want your wife to be on board. And that doesn't happen because you tell them to. It happens because you lead them in that way. And so it's important for, for folks that are listening to realize this, you know, it, it truly is your, your home is your first line of ministry. Absolutely. And there are times, of course, when the home will have to make some sacrifices for the ministry, but that shouldn't be a regular routine. Right. It should be an anomaly. And, uh, and, and so they, they not, should not grow up resenting the fact that, hey, my dad was a pastor, my, my dad was in ministry, but they they should look at that with a privilege and, and, and being the honor that it really is. Yeah. So. I tell I told my kids when they were growing up. I said, "You get a lot of privileges other people don't get. You get to go out and eat right. dinner with these preachers that are here in town, sure. and and you you know it, it. I've told people over the years when I look at First Timothy three and Titus one, mm-hmm. and it's interesting. First Timothy three, the bulk of what Paul gave his qualifications for the bishop centers around the family, Amen. and. I, I tell folks, God 
did not establish the pastoral home as a perfect home because there are no perfect home because there are no perfect people. But God meant for it to be a pattern home, Mm -hmm. a home that people in the church could see. You know, that man loves his wife. That man loves his children. That that lady loves her husband. That lady loves her children. Those children love their parents. And they all love the Lord. Yeah. And, um, you know, it's a it's a wonderful privilege. You know that as well as I do to have children that, mm-hmm. uh, you know, receive that. And, um, you know, it's, it's, you can't, it's not something you cram down their throat. It's something you lovingly lead them into. Sure. So. Well, you know, going back to what you said before, uh, you know, the three things that the older preacher taught you, um, I think maybe you put a little different spin on it um, when you talked about your, your role as a pastor here. I heard you say this week that yeah, your, your thinking as a pastor, you are to give yourself to preaching, to prayer, and to people, right? Yeah. yeah. So uh, just uh, it's, it's a wonderful thought, really. That should be the emphasis of, of a pastor. Uh, there's a lot of things that are involved in, in ministry today, and lots of technology, lots of, um, you know, little nuances and things, you know, the finances and all of those things. And it, certainly the larger church gets, the more there's stuff to do. But if we're not careful as pastors, if we're called to preach and pastor people, we can get caught up into some of that stuff and, and then neglect the most important things. So that's why we bring people in to help us. Because yeah. there's a really only, at least in our kind of churches, there's really only one true pastor of the church. Everyone else is to help that man do yeah. what God's called them to do. Yeah. Uh, and so, um, you know, if you want to just talk a little bit about your philosophy of how you're working with your staff a little bit. Okay, sort of yeah. You know, I heard Dr. Clarence Sexton say years ago, uh, every Christian is either to be the pastor of a church or helping the pastor of the mm-hmm. church, you know. And um, and so I believe that that is very true. You know, staff-wise, um, you know, we have several men that serve on pastoral staff at this point right now. We have an administrative pastor, and you and I are talking, and I told you the way we defined our my role and his role is mine is uh, preaching prayer and people. His is purse, uh, personnel, and problems. <laughs> and, uh, and, you know, probably bringing Brother Dwight, he and I have both been here 41 years. I've been here one month longer than he has. Um, he came as a sixth grade teacher, eventually became the principal of our high school and administrator of our school, and I brought him church side uh, four years ago. But, um, you know, uh, that that one move probably is going to extend my pastoral ministry a, a little while mm-hmm. uh, because he does take the bulk of the problems and the personnel and oversees the finances because, you know, everybody, it doesn't matter if you're, the only employee of your church as the pastor or if you've got a multi-staff church you know everybody's got to deal with faculty that may be sunday school teachers you know that that's just workers everybody's got to do with deal with facilities and you know you talked about our buildings we have 25 acres 155,000 square feet of buildings those those buildings you know they're not they're not getting younger they're getting older and then everybody has to deal with finances. Mm-hmm. You know, you got to pay for it one way or the other. And um, and so, you know, I think what a man should do, what I've tried to do, is surround myself with men whose strengths are my weaknesses. Mm-hmm. And I have some many weaknesses. I won't take uh, the rest of your life to tell you all my weaknesses. <laughs> but but anyway, you know, those weaknesses I can I can shore up. If I have the privilege, and I know we may be talking to some folks that don't have the privilege to have paid staff, but you can get volunteer staff that can help you with your areas where you're not strong. If that's organization, you know, I I tell our staff, 
um, organized people expect organization. Unorganized people appreciate organization, mm, you know? Yeah, and, and so, you know, everybody likes a little organization. And if mm. that's not your strength, then, then get you somebody that can help you and, um, and, and get people around you that, that will make up for your weaknesses and, um, and he- let them help you. You know, I'm afraid that a lot of us, um, and, you know, I put myself right there in this crowd, probably don't accept the help we ought to accept because of our own pride. Mm-hmm. We don't want anybody to think I have got a, mm-hmm. you mean I got an area that I can't do it all? Mm-hmm. And uh, and so, you know, it's 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 easier to admit that at 63 years of age than it was at 33. <laughs> but uh, but at least I finally learned it. It just took me a while. So, yeah. but, um, but, you know, just I think you get staff that help you in the areas of your weaknesses. You get staff that are, have the same mindset you do, you know? I tell our young people when they go off to Bible college, if God would open the door for you to come back here and there's an opportunity, I'd love for you to. Because sure. you don't have to retrain those people yeah, who you are. Yeah. You know, you ain't got to bring them in and say, no, this is who we are. Mm-hmm. So, you know, yeah. but, um, you know, you, that's not always the case. And, and would, we, would you agree with the statement that every church has a kind of a unique culture to it? I mean, there's a culture that's involved and. And that's part of ministry. You know, young people come in, and if specifically from the outside, and if they, if they're, you know, in some respects, they have this idea that everybody needs to think like they think. But the truth is, is that they need to learn to think like the church thinks. I mean, as long as the church obviously is a biblical church, but we have to learn that culture. And we're foolish if we think we're going to come in and we're going to change things. And even pastors, if you're a young man and you're looking at a church, and you're going to go there, and this is an established church. And there may be some things you want to change. You'd be a fool to try to change them immediately, yes, unless sir. again they're just ungodly, wicked, unbiblical things. You need to establish yourself and give yourself some credibility as a leader before you begin to try to move that ship. And and then if you move it, you move it slowly. You don't radically jerk it around. So. When we hire guys on staff here and they come in and take ministries that are already established, I just simply tell them the first year you need to kind of do what we've done. Mm-hmm. You don't need to change anything. And then when you feel like there's a change, come, let's talk about it. Let's let's work through it. Um, you know, yeah, I've seen some very foolish men as pastors, not all of them young sometimes, mm-hmm. but go into a church and try to change things overnight. And, you know, um, I'm coming up on that 25th anniversary, my first Sunday. Uh, I preached two messages. I'm, unless the Lord changes my mind, I'm going to do that again this year, the first Sunday in November. Some things never change. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, there's just some things that don't change. Right. And, uh, you know, I don't think change equal compromise. I think sometimes change has to happen. There have to change. But you don't. we don't change doctrine. We don't change overall philosophy. We may change method of how we get this done or when we do this, what time we meet here, whatever. Mm-hmm. But, but, you know, God's give us the marching orders, you mm-hmm. know. And, and the marching orders is a great, great commission to go and, Win folks and and baptize them and disciple them and help them to go do the same thing and so you know I think it's just um, it's just wise of anybody going into a ministry. Uh, I still do the last interview in our hiring process, and I tell people we when you come in here you are a team member and we'll listen to you. Go to the right person. Always go up the chain of command. Don't go to your fellow shoulder-to-shoulder soldiers. You go to your sergeant or, you know, your major or whatever, and uh, 
And, and if you've got a suggestion, we want to listen to it. But there's a lot of things we do because we know they work. It, it, we, we, we've done a lot of things a long time. Yeah. And that doesn't mean we don't change things. We have changed things, you know. Sure. Uh, but, but, you know, you can't go in and expect everybody to change us because you think it ought to be, you know. Mm-hmm. And um, so you have respect for, the, for that. I, I think that word you use is a good word, culture. You, yeah. you respect the culture that's sure. there. Yeah. And, well, and again, uh, you know, I, I suppose even a long-established church like you came in after a pastor who was here for a long time, I followed the, the, the uh, founding pastor, and there were things that I saw that I felt like needed to change. But it took, it took a while for me to feel like I had the capital to be able to spend right. in making the change. Right. Uh, you know, you, you earn that by yeah. the things that you do, the way that you treat people, the way that you, you know, they see the, the genuineness of your heart. They're not going to know that immediately, you know. No. Even though I served on the staff for 17 years, they didn't know as a new pastor, you know. Even though I, because yeah. it's a, just a whole different ball game. It is different role. And and you're stepping into somebody else's shadow, and and you know you're going to have to start casting your own, and it it takes a while for you to do that. So people have to understand that, and I think we're very foolish if we think, well, you know, I'm I'm the pastor, therefore you got to do what I say, you know. Yeah. Well, you know, that, that sounds good, but it's not practical <laughs> at all. <laughs> yeah, so, that my way or the highway yeah, stuff, yeah, yeah. They, they probably more of them hit the highway yeah. than hit my way. So there's a reason guys only last about three years in those places before they're gone. You That's know? right. Yeah, yeah. One, of my, one of my good friends, Lonnie Manley, said he was helping a young man, wanted to find a church, and he asked him how much pastoral, you know, experience he had. He said, oh, I've been pastoring 12 years. He said, now in 12 years, how many churches you pastored? He said, well, I... I'm at my sixth one. He said, "Well, no, you've you've got two years of experience six different times." There you go. Yeah, absolutely, for sure. Yeah. Well, as we're wrapping up here today, I was just uh, you know just thinking to myself about you know again the the influence that God has given to you and and uh, you know the, this church is known uh, in our circles, you know, in independent Baptist circles, and you, we kind of run with some of the same crowd, and so. Um, you know, it's a blessing, isn't it? I mean, it's a yeah. blessing to be able to serve the Lord. And, you know, all of us have to realize that, you know, I'm only going to get this to do this. You know, I, I, I recommend a book to a lot of guys, that's the, and it's not even written by independent Baptists. It's called Next, and it's about pastoral transition. Yeah. And they make a statement in that book, and I think it's important that we realize that, that every pastor, regardless of how long he's been there, is only an interim pastor. Yeah. If Jesus doesn't come, somebody's going to take your place, you know? Right. And so we have to li- think about that. And so it's, you know, sometimes we get in the grind of pastoring and it's sometimes it's wearying. But man, the day's going to come when you're not. And it's been three years f- for me since I've stepped out of the pastorate. And I think it's given me a great appreciation for, as I travel, trying to encourage pastors that are in the, in the throats of it, you know. So, so again, um, you know, just as, any thoughts that you have along that line as we're wrapping up and anything that you'd like to say to our listeners and then we'll be, we'll be finished here today. Okay. Well, you know, I, I think that that's a wonderful thought. I haven't heard it just like that. Every pastor is an interim pastor. But the truth is the ministry is going, if Jesus tarries, is coming. The ministry is going on after. Right. You know, one of the great benefits I've received as the pastor of our church is the man who was here before me for 24 years is still a member of our church. Amen. Still loves the Lord. He loves me. Outside of my wife, he's the greatest cheerleader I have. Amen. And never leaves a service here that he doesn't speak to me, encourage me, thank me for studying, preparing, preaching. 
Um, and, and he understands, you know, he understands what I go through. And though he's told me, he said, man, the landscape's changed so much in these 25 sure. years. It sure is, it's just unreal. He said, I can't even imagine what you're dealing with. But, but the truth of the matter, fellas, we want to leave the ministry God's given us for the next generation with a good foundation and pray they do outbuild us. You know, one of the things I want, I want my children to far surpass me. Amen. In what I have yeah. done in ministry, what, what I've done, whatever it's been. Man, I want my kids to do more and my grandkids to do more than they do. Because if Jesus tarries, I mean, the church is going to go on and I want... I want Beacon Baptist Church, if, if Jesus tarries, I want Beacon Baptist Church 25 years from today to be better and stronger than it is today. Amen. And I uh, don't want to sit over on the sidelines sulking and yeah. sucking my thumb and getting yeah. mad. I mean, wh why would you want somebody to come in behind you and fail? You yeah. know, you, you want them to be succeed and yeah. you want them to, again, to, to do a, a better job. But I'll tell you, the young men and you, you young guys that are listening, uh, you, you know, I just have to tell you, the, the world is changing and there are things you're, you're going to deal with. But by God's grace, you can deal with it. And, you know, every, every generation has its challenges. You, you certainly will have yours in, in your time. Well, we want to thank our listeners for being a part of today's podcast. And again, if this has been a help to you, let others know about it and um, just share a word. And uh, again, we, we sure appreciate the, the fact that you're out there. And if we can be a help or a service to you, we're sure glad to do it. Brother Rabin, thank you for being my guest today. Well, and thank you. Once again, my guest has been Dr. Uh, Tim Rabin at the Beacon Baptist Church in Raleigh, North Carolina. And I'm sure that, uh, you know, he could be a blessing to you in some way. He'd, he'd be glad to do that. With that being said, we hope that you all have a great day. Have, may the Lord bless you. Thanks for listening. We hope that you've been encouraged by today's podcast. If you've been helped, please subscribe and share this podcast with your friends. Please feel free to leave us a comment and or a rating. If you'd like more information about Kevin Folger, please visit his website, kevinfolger.com. We invite you to join us next time with more conversations with Kevin and his guests as they tell their story of being laborers in the harvest. <laughs>